Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, will be our text for this morning. If you're unfamiliar with your way around the Bible, then um, if you go right to the middle of the Bible and then a little bit uh, to the right, then you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to look at the pew back in front of you, and there's a Bible there, uh, and you can find this reading on page 882. We do encourage you to uh, follow along with us if you, as you're able. We're now in a series that w- we're well at three weeks into a series that we call Live Like It Matters, uh, because uh, I want to live a life that matters. Most of us, if not all of us, want to live a life of significance. We don't want our existence to be something that's just come and gone, but we want, to, we want to have significance. We want to know that our time here, however many years we have, mattered. And so we're thinking through, and what I've been proposing to you is that if we want to live a life that matters now and into eternity, which we can then it must be connected to, we must be connected to and live in and through the church, in the church. Um, And there's a whole variety of people who say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not very religious, or I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. To to which I would say, if we are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if we're truly going to follow Jesus Christ, then we too must be involved in the church Uh, for this reason. That Jesus himself was not, uh, was not a fan of religion. The people that he was hardest on were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for their hypocrisy. It's not religion that Jesus came for. It was that Jesus came in order that he might be able to get a community of people, he called the church, for whom he died. And if he loves the church... And if he died for the church, then if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ, then our lives cannot be disconnected from the very church that he died for. We want to have significance in this life and the next. This week I had a conversation with a pastor friend of mine, and we were having lunch, and we were having a nice exchange, and I learned that he's originally from Tennessee, which I didn't hold against him. Um, And then then I learned that he's a Tennessee football fan, which means he's a fan of the SEC, and that I did hold against him. Um, Because I am a Big Ten fan, I uh, happen to be a Michigan fan, and, uh, and and, and just a fan of the Big Ten. And I hate the SEC, because that's how it works. That's, that's the rules of the game. So we had a fun, spirited conversation, and then I made him pay for lunch. Um, <laughs> but I re- upon reflection, I realized that was probably 20, 25 minutes we talked about college football, which was fun, and it was for, sort of entertaining and fun. But it was really a conversation about nothing, because who cares? Because, because who, hey, yeah, we got an amen there, right? <laughs> I hear it. And then I started to reflect. Actually, I, I do this all the time, and I suppose you probably do, too. We get distracted from things that actually matter, and we find ourselves talking about things that may, are, are sort of entertaining or mildly entertaining or have, have some relevance to our lives, but in reality, we find ourselves getting all excited about sports and about cooking and about cars and about HTV, HGTV and about The Bachelor and all that stuff. That's all right. Don't judge each other. I know. And then we, we, we talk about it all. I mean, because who really cares who won, about, who won American Idol? I mean, who really cares who won the last season of American Idol besides the person who actually did? But I found myself tweeting about it. I'm not going to lie to you. And it's just, 
about nothing. It's not advancing the mission of my life or of God. It's, it's so easy for us in our day and our age to be distracted by things that are fine, except The Bachelor, and... and I'm going to get emails probably. I don't know. Uh, and, and get pulled away from things that actually matter. And, and even, even good things, even things within the church that may not be the primary things that are actually making our lives count for now and into eternity. I want to think through these things. If we want to live a life that matters now and to eternity, then it, must, it will require purposeful and intentional action on our part. I think we'll be helped by looking at Acts chapter 1 as we look through this, as we study together. Look there at verse 1, and let me just begin reading this for us this morning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After, he, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He answered, or he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, what are you, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." Let's pause there. I really like the end of how this one ends. Verses 9 through the end of this little passage that we were reading through 11, where these men who are disciples who are following after Jesus, and there are two angels that come to visit them, and they basically say, why are you just standing here? What, what, what are you doing? Do, go do something. That's essentially what they say to them. Now, Jesus' disciples, we have to think about them just for a bit, because it was after the resurrection that Jesus had several appearances, we're told here in Acts, that over a 40-day period, he made very convincing proofs that he was alive, and he made appearances to his disciples. And then Jesus gave them instruction. He said that they ought to go to Jerusalem and wait there for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. But they still had questions, as you think they might. They said, well, well, is now the time, Jesus, is now the time when you are going to ascend to the throne of Israel and you are going to conquer? Because they thought that Jesus was going to do that before. But then he died, and then he rose again, and then they say, is now the time, Jesus? 
is now the time where you will ascend to the throne, where you will act like what we think the Messiah is supposed to do. Is now that time? And Jesus says, well, it's, it's not mine to tell you. It is the Father's to say when that will happen. But I want you to know that I will give you the Holy Spirit and you will go and be my witnesses. And then Jesus starts to rise, right? He starts to rise up. As, as, as he's talking, he's giving them instructions and then Jesus starts to rise and then he keeps going. And then he goes all the way up into the sky. He goes into heaven. He's covered by a cloud. And can you imagine being one of the disciples? Where you're just like, what, what the heck is going on? I mean, are you kidding me? Like, is, is he coming back? Like, it, is this just a trick? Is he going to do a spin? Like, what? How is this supposed to work out? I mean, are you? First of all, he comes saying that he is a prophet, that he's the son of God. And then he does all these miraculous things. And he says, follow me. And so we follow him. And we listen to his teachings. And he tells us he's the Messiah. And then we believe him. And we give three years of our lives to go follow after him. And then all of a sudden he's arrested. And then he dies. And we think it's over. But it's not over. Because then he shows up again over the last 40 days. And they said he's been risen from the dead. And we've seen him. And we've touched him. And we've ate with him. We've seen him. And now he just went into somewhere. What? <laughs> because they, they thought he was gone. What? And then two angels come. And they say, what are you doing? Why are you just standing there? Like, go. Go, go do but who can blame them for just standing there? Right? You can, who can blame them as they're just trying to figure out what is going on in their life? They were just standing there. And the fact, actually, that they were standing there is actually a sign that they didn't truly understand what Jesus had called them to do. The fact that they were standing there looking into the skies, that they didn't, they didn't fully grasp who Jesus was and all that his, he had planned for them, it means that they didn't really recognize the purpose that God had for their life yet. They didn't understand. And I'm afraid that for many of us here who are here this morning, we're a lot more like the disciples than we care to admit. We're standing in our lives. We're standing and we're standing there. I mean, we may be standing there staring at Jesus. You've come this morning because you are here and you sort of go, well, I'm here and I made it and I sang the songs and I'm, 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 I'm here. But it's possible that we're standing and we've yet to understand. We don't understand the purpose that God has called us to live in our life. We don't understand how we can have an impact from now and on to eternity. We've yet to grasp what all of this means. And we're going to take some time and we're going to look at this, this rising of Jesus, the ascension. And we need to get a grasp of the ascension in order to understand the significance and purpose for which we've been called. Luke chapter 24 also. So Luke wrote the, the gospel of Luke. He also is the author of Acts, the same author. And he includes at the end of his, of, of his gospel this. Luke chapter 4 beginning in verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. 
and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So something happened in the conversation with the angels. Something happened when the, the, these men then began to understand, because according to Luke's gospel, what happened, the response of these disciples after Jesus had ascended and the, and the angels had come to visit was that they returned and they went. What did they do? They went to the temple and they worshiped and they praised and their hearts were filled with great joy. Their, their hearts were filled with joy. Because they begin to understand, the penny dropped for them of what the purpose that God had for them. They realized that the ascension of Jesus Christ, Jesus going up into heaven to the, to the right hand of the Father, was not the loss of Jesus, but was actually the greater power of Jesus. It's actually greater intimacy with Jesus. That Jesus needed to go, that Jesus' physical body, that he was going into heaven, was not the loss of his leadership or the intimacy of his, uh, of his relationship or his protection, but was actually the magnification of it. And therefore, they worshipped him, and therefore, they followed him, they obeyed him, and therefore, their hearts were filled with great joy. And if we want to have lives of obedience, and if we want to have lives of significance, if we want to have lives filled with great joy, then we need to wrestle with this often missed understanding of the ascension or this topic of the ascension of Jesus Christ. So what is it? We, we often give attention to the incarnation when Jesus was born. We give attention to the death of the crucifixion of Jesus. We give attention to the resurrection of, of Jesus. We talk about the return of Jesus, but very often we miss the ascension of Jesus. But I think that one, one commentator says that the ascension of Jesus Christ is the detonator for the gospel. It's the trigger that sets off the power of the gospel in our world. Let's look at the ascension. What is the ascension? What is it? What is, here in verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Disciples ask a question. Is now the time where you will ascend to the king of Israel, to be the king of Israel? Is now the time that you will ascend to be the king? And Jesus says, that's not mine to tell. I'm going to send you the Spirit, and you are going to be my witnesses. And then, according to Luke, he blessed them, and then he went into heaven. Where did he go? Where did Jesus ascend to? Where did he go? He didn't, they thought he was going to, they, Jesus was going to ascend to the throne of Israel. Jesus said, no, I'm going to ascend to my Father's throne, and I'm going to sit at his right hand. He went into heaven. He didn't go into the heavens, right? He didn't go into the earthly realms or the realms. He, didn't, he wasn't the first space traveler. No, he went into heaven. He went into the presence of his Father. When he ascended, what ascension means is it means that he changes the relationship now. There's been, when Jesus ascended to heaven, when he ascended to his Father, then he changed the relationship between the people who he was once with. You understand this. Right? Because we're in a presidential election. And whatever your thoughts are on that, whoever gets elected, their, their relationship with us will change on the day that they get elected. Their relationship will, be, will change. Because right now, 
Right now, we can call those people Mrs. Clinton, we can call them Mr. Trump, Mr. Sanders, Mr. Cruz, Mr. Kasich, but when they become, if they, one of them presumably will become the president of our nation, and they will become either Mr. or Mrs. President. The relationship, the nature of the relationship. Because why? They've ascended to the presidency. They've ascended to a place that changes their relationship between you and between me. We understand that, that they become president. Jesus ascended to the throne of his father, and he changed his relationship with us. It wasn't space travel, but he ascended to heaven, right? Tim Keller puts it this way. God does not relate to us like a man in the attic relates to someone on the first floor. God is like a playwright. The only way that the reader of the play can know anything about the author of the play is if the author writes himself into the play. So God is outside of the created universe. And the only way that those inside the created universe, inside the play, could know anything about the author, the creator, is if God himself chose to write himself in. In the incarnation, God was writing himself into the story. God sent his son Jesus to take on flesh. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. No one could. Jesus died the sacrificial death in our place. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death and sin and hell once and for all. And now, after he's done all of those things, he could stay inside space and time and be limited like you and I are limited because we can't be everywhere at once. We can only be one place at once. Jesus could stay, or he could ascend. He could ascend outside space and time. He could ascend into heaven. He could ascend into the presence of the Father at which he can be all places, all, all everywhere at, at once. Jesus ascended to the Father. And when he ascended into the Father, it is again, it, it's the trigger of, what, of, of unleashing the power of the gospel. Everything that he has now done, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell, now has been put into motion because he is now in, outside the realm of creation. He is now is able to go and send that, set all that into motion for us because he's at the, with the presence of the Father. And he unleashes that. And so now all of his promises, because he is our shepherd, because he is our mediator, because he is our substitute, because he is our sacrifice, because he is our king, because he is our brother, because he is our friend, has now we experience all of those things. Why? Because Jesus ascended to the Father and it is now unleashed so that you can experience it. Those who are his. It's now been poured out into the world because Jesus went to the Father. We may be able to understand it by looking as Jesus, when Jesus rose from the dead, there's this great conversation between him and Mary Magdalene. You may remember it's in the book of John, John chapter 20, where Jesus is, is there and Mary is, is, she's weeping because Jesus isn't there. She doesn't know where he is. And then this man comes and she sees him and she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. Do you remember this? And so she says, just where, where is he? Because I, I just want to know, tell me, just where, tell me where his body is, and then, then I'll go get him. I, I'll be happy to. 
And then Jesus says, Mary, and she understood. She understood it was Jesus, and so she just grabbed on to him. You remember what Jesus says? He says, don't hold on to Mary. Don't hold on to me, for I have to ascend to my Father. Don't, don't hold on to me, for I have to ascend to my Father. People have sometimes said, well, Jesus was saying, don't touch me because it's my resurrected body. No, 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 no. What he's saying is, Mary, I know you were mourning because I, you thought I died and I wasn't with you anymore. And I am, I am here. And I'm physically here with you. But don't grasp onto me because I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to ascend to my Father. Mary, you haven't understood. If, if you hold on to me, then I can only be here with you in this moment right now. But when I ascend to the Father, then I can be with you always. If I ascend to the Father, then my presence will go with you, and there is no one, no matter what they do to you, that can take me from you. Because I'm ascended to the Father, I will always be with you, and you will always be with me, and there is nothing that can separate you from me if I ascend to the Father, Mary. So don't hold on to me. I have to go. Then, by you letting me go, I will always be with you. The significance. And you know what? Sometimes when I, when I look at church, and when I look at church people, we have a bad habit. I want to say this right. We have a bad habit of holding on to Jesus. I'm not talking about theologically. I'm not talking about we need to have orthodox theology that he is the God-man, that he is, 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 is the only one who could ever be, that he died and he died a sacrificial death and he rose from the dead. He was really dead and he really rose and he's really ascended and he's really returned. I'm not talking about theologically. What I'm talking about is the ways in which we try to hold on to Jesus. There's so many of us, we get so caught up in our songs that we like and our, our version of theology of our people, of our groups, of our Jesus. And we sit in our churches and we do our version of Christianity that makes us feel comfortable. And I'm wondering if Jesus might, might not be saying to us and to you today that I don't want you to hold on to me like that. I need you to let me go. Because it's when you let me go that I will actually be with you always, that I will actually unleash the power of the gospel through you and through your gathering and through your church. If we get so caught up in what we think is our way of grasping on to Jesus, and again, I'm not talking about changing theology, I'm talking about the practices that have very little to do with our theology. So easy for us to get caught up in these things, to get so inwardly focused, because someone has always said that this has to always be that way. And therefore, it always must be because somehow that's, that was blessed from the incarnation itself. And then we lose the effectiveness. We lose the power of Jesus' presence with us in our gatherings. We become critical. We become harsh. We must let go of our preconceived notions of how Jesus is pleased with our church and we must boldly say, Jesus, I will let you go so that you can work your plan in my life and in my church. If we want to be those who have lives that matter now and lives that matter on into eternity, then we need to allow Jesus the privilege to be able to shake up our preconceived notions of church in order that we might be able to experience his power at work within us. 
And I say that to myself as much as anybody because I've been in church my whole stinking life. We must let go. Jesus says, if you let go of me, you will never lose me. And if you let go of me, you will be amazed at how I use you. Why does this matter? Verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. The disciples thought that Jesus was gone. They, they thought that he, that he was... How, their teacher has disappeared. How will his message go forth? And the angels say, why are you just standing here looking into the sky? Go. Because he's already told them. He's already told them. He just told them before he left, I'm going to give you my spirit, and you are going to go be my witnesses. And the angels go, what more do you need, people? Go. I'm not an angel, but what more do you need, people? Let's go. If we want to live lives that matter for Jesus, then they have to be lives that have purpose and intentionality, and they have to be lives of action. They have to be lives of action. But in our action, can I give you some reflections as we go out, and we must go out, or we'll just be standing there doing our version of Christianity, staring up into the sky, which none of us wants. All of us wants to be used for significance and value and worth for the kingdom of Jesus. I believe that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be standing here. You wouldn't be sitting there listening to me talk for, for sure. Here's the posture with which we must go do our stuff. First is this, radical humility. Radical humility. Jesus says, you are my witnesses. Jesus says to his disciples and to his church that you are my representatives. Have you thought recently about the fact that you're a representative of Jesus? That God, Jesus has chosen to make you his hands and feet, that you are his representatives, which ought to humble you. God himself says, here's how I'm going to make my message known. You. Me? Yes. You. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Through you. And so that ought to humble us to the ground. Because the way people are going to know Jesus is through the word, but it's through the word being lived out in your life. Because you can quote as many Bible verses as you like, but if it doesn't translate into anything in how you live, then why in the world would people believe the Bible? Well, she claims to be a Christian. But every single one of our projects, she is the one who always takes the glory, even though she didn't even do all the work. And when she has to, she's as as happy to fire somebody over a text message and not even show up to the office that day. Or when she does a sales call, she has no problem spinning it, just like I spin it. I mean, she claims to be a Christian, but she just, she's, she's just like us. You are the representatives of Jesus Christ. Where you are in your space, in your marriage, in your relationships with your neighbors, you are the representatives of Jesus Christ. When you are morally ugly, then it looks like Jesus is morally ugly because we are the way through which he reaches the world. 
it ought to humble us. It ought to bring us down. And it ought to rise us up. Because while we have to be radically humble, we also have real authority. Do you know that? You have real authority. Because Jesus says, all authority in heaven has been given to me and I am going to send you out into the world that you might make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Real authority has been delegated to you because it's not your message, it's his message and you get to go tell it. All you're doing is being the conduit through which this authoritative message goes into the world. It's through your life and it's through your mouth and it's through our living and it's through our worship that the, and it's real. It's real authority that has been delegated from Jesus himself to his people, to his church. The reason I can stand up in front of you Sunday after Sunday and teach is not because I'm a great communicator. It's not because I'm a funny comedian. It's not because I have unique insight into the future. It is simply because I stand before you as one who gives attention to the delegated authority of Jesus Christ through his word. They're not my ideas. They're his ideas. This is not mine. It's his. And so therefore, I can stand before you with authority and say, this is what Jesus calls you to do. And you can too, as you go out. It's, it's, not, it's, it's authority that breeds confidence. It's not arrogance. It's not judgmentalism. It's not moralism. It's confidence to be a witness for Jesus because you are his representative. We have, real, we have radical humility and real authority and generous mercy. Because some of the most frustrating people for me are Christians. <laughs> because I see them on my TV and I want to throw stuff at it. My TV. Wishing it somehow would go through and hit the people. I mean, because I listen to, I watch on Facebook and I watch on Twitter and I watch some of these conversations of people who are Christians and I go, really? People? Really? And it just gets frustrating for me. Because I feel like it's not only, and, some, and I have every expectation that sometimes people do that for me. Really, Pastor? Is that really? Do you really have to eat pizza every Friday night? I thought yours was a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But here's the deal no one has had his reputation abused like Jesus. No one has had his name smeared like Jesus. And if Jesus is not afraid to use people as his representatives, if Jesus isn't embarrassed by them or by me, then how can I be? Because they don't ascribe to my version of church. If Jesus trusts imperfect people to carry his message, then we too must have generous mercy with those whom God has chosen to send out his message. Many have said the main evidence against Christianity are, is Christians. The main evidence against Christianity is Christians. I get that. I understand. But how does the message go forth? Is it not through Christians? 
And is not the gospel of Jesus Christ going throughout the world? It is not the church being built. And does not the scripture say that the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Friends, the only way the church goes forward is through Christians. It's the only way that it goes forward. And so therefore, we must go. We must go. We must go with radical humility. We must go with we, we must go with real authority. We must go with generous mercy, but we must go because God is working in as at work in you and through you. And you say, well, how do I go? Where do I go? I don't know. But do something. Ask God where you should go, and he will show you. This spring, I'm going to coach baseball. I don't have time to coach baseball. I don't, I don't. I don't have time to coach baseball, but I'm going to join in coaching baseball. Why? Well, one reason is because the coach last year was so bad that my wife got annoyed listening to me uh, complain about it, and she says, well, go do something about it. I said, okay, I'm doing it. I'm going to go. But because... I want to use baseball as a conduit through which I can develop relationships that can have an impact for the kingdom of God. That's why I'm coaching baseball. That's why. Because it's a platform. What's your platform? I don't know. You know. Maybe it's prison ministry. Maybe it's something else. But go. Because Jesus calls us to go. And he says, don't just stand there. Let's go. Let me pray. Father, will you please use this church? to go, because we so desperately long to live lives that matter, and so will you help us. We don't have it all together. We're broken pots through which we hold an amazing message, so will you send these broken pots out in order to have an impact in the community and Maple Grove, the surrounding communities, and throughout the world for your glory, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.